Welcome to Other You, a podcast where we discuss a decision in our lives that may or may not have had a long-lasting impact. We unpack some of the factors behind it and then explore in short story form what the other version of ourselves might have experienced around that time or shortly thereafter. I'm your host, Dee. Let's see where this story takes us. Welcome back to another episode of Other You. I'm your host, Dee. On today's episode, I have with me a longtime friend, um, probably like 20 plus years now. I don't know. It has to be something like that. Yeah, close to that. Yeah, he is uh, the head pastor of uh, the church, uh, the Vineyard Church out in DeKalb, Illinois. He does freelance writing, even some leadership coaching. If you're looking for a coach, holler at your boy. Welcome, Joe Holda. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'm so excited to have you. So excited to have you. Thank you. Cool beans. How how have you been? It is a, a frigid, frigid day in the beginnings of 2021 um how are things yeah no, nothing like negative six to start your day mm, that just uh, a way to wake up this morning mm. mm-hmm. do you uh do you guys turn off your heat at night or do you set it to um a modest temperature we we turn it down a bit we try okay. to be uh environmentally sound mm-hmm. but uh you know it's still when it gets this cold out the heat doesn't do a whole lot yeah, the, the house the house is heated, mm-hmm. but it it still has that chill in it that yeah. uh, that you just can't get rid of. Right. Yeah, we um I live in a like a fairly small apartment, um, and my wife and I are psychopaths, I guess, because we turn the heat all the way off at night. Um, and every morning it's the same thing. Like we we both come out complaining about how cold it is, and like it has gotten into the forties in the apartment. Um. In the morning, yeah, and then we, yeah, that's a little too cold. Yeah, that's a little too much. Cold. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't get that cold in like our room because we like have ninety five blankets and stuff, but it's I don't know why we do it. It's just a thing. It's just a thing. I, I, although I will say that I think it was, it stems from when I was living uh, on my own. Uh-huh. Uh, I would keep the heat off as long as I could. Well, I I still have that within me. I okay. Mean, I, you know, I don't want to, if I can not turn the heat on until, uh, Halloween, I'm a happy camper, but my wife won't let me do that. Gotcha. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm just like, I don't want to, I don't want to pay for heat. I don't, I don't want to do it. Cause I know like, I like it when it's warm and, yeah. and, and I've seen that in myself in the summertime when it gets like crazy hot and we're just like two straight months of air conditioning and I'm looking at these bills and I'm like, how about I just sweat next summer? I'll just, I'll, I'll just <laughs> sweat, you know? <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah, I think it's a Midwestern thing. We just don't like, you know, mm-hmm. we don't like paying for things like that. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those creature comforts, man. Exactly. Goodness. All right. So how is, um, how's life been otherwise? I mean, it was a pretty tumultuous year. And, um, as the, the head pastor, you guys have gone, I'm sure from in-person to, uh, digital. Um, yeah. how, what was the transition like for you guys? Well, it was it was it was a rough transition for us because we had been um, we had been in temporary space for years. Mm-hmm. We had been setting up and tearing down and in a building that wasn't our own. Mm. And then on March one of last year, we closed on a church building we bought, mm. and we had two services, and then we shut down. Oh. Um, and so that's been the running joke in our community. We're the <laughs> we're the church that never got to use their new church. Right. Uh, but we opened. Um, we tried to open up again in the. I want to say like um, July one or end of June, mm-hmm. and it went okay for a while. But then when when things started to crank back up in our county, 
Mm. Um, we shut back down again. Mm. We had a slight outbreak happen. Oh. And um, and it's just we haven't picked up any momentum since. It's been it's been rough, but wow. you know, in 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 one sense, it's it's been good. It's it's challenged us to rethink what's important and. Mm. I think, you know, coming out of this, um, everything's different. Everything's going to look different. And even the way we do church, the way we do ministry is going to change dramatically, mm. which, which might be good, which might be good. Yeah. Although, you know, change is never easy. Right. So. Do you think that you guys have employed some, I don't want to use the word tactics, but the way that you guys have uh, adjusted, do you think there's anything in there that you have found to... Uh, be very comfortable in the way that you do things and you might integrate that into the way that you normally do stuff after things open back up again? Yeah. What, I mean, what, what we really moved back towards is, is we looked at um, what church looks like uh, in more mission field areas in closed mm -hmm. countries where the church can't have necessarily a big building and a big presence where it has to be a little bit more underground. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that, you know, we're, we're underground, but right. some of the techniques that they use for gathering and for disciple making mm -hmm. and things like that um, are some of the techniques that we've picked up and, and a lot of other pastors I know as well have picked up over uh, the last nine months uh, to a year. Mm. And looking forward, um, I think that's, that's probably going to be the driving force. I think um, there's going to be a move away from the big central meeting. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be more into these uh, more um, grassroots, uh, smaller groups, smaller church, micro church type of right. of of, uh, of things. So I think it's it's going to be a dramatic shift. And like I said, a lot of it we picked up because we had to, but mm -hmm. there seems to be a lot more uh, fruit, a lot more traction in those areas. Right on, right on. I think one of the diff the difficult things for me to reconcile over the you know, the, the heaviest part of 2020 where a lot of people that I know that are, uh, evangelical Christians that were very, they, they felt very persecuted because they could not meet in person. Right. And like all of their liberties were being thwarted and their God could not hear them because they couldn't go to church and like all of those things. And I think one of the things that, uh, I immediately, just imagine would be the easiest adjustment is, oh, okay, we're just gonna, like, if, if, if people cannot go to a building to have their service, then surely they will adjust to all of the places where they're not allowed to meet and they figure it out. Yeah. Right. And it's just like, we have been trained here in America that we are, uh, entitled to everything. And if, if any of that is interrupted at all, then it's like, well, now you're ruining my life. And this is the well, worst. I, I I think one of the things that we've learned, and I, I think this is was true years ago, we just never realized it, mm -hmm. was in the West, we've really taken the church and um, defined it by a single event, by a Sunday morning service. That was what church was. And if that yeah. didn't occur, then church wasn't occurring. Mm -hmm. You go to many parts in the world, and that's not how the church works and how right. the church operates. And so um, I think for some, it, it was a tough transition because um you know it's a whole new world mm -hmm. you strip away the the big event and it's a whole new world and mm -hmm. uh um and, and and i'm concerned with that as well i think uh i think a lot of people aren't going to transition well mm -hmm. a lot of leaders aren't going to transition well to whatever the new 
uh, environment looks like once we get to the other side of of this once yeah. things begin to change stencils are they're very handy you know mm-hmm. especially if you're not the one creating the stencil it's it's like you just go you get your bit and then you just paint over it and then you lift your stencil and like oh so this is what it's supposed to look like you know exactly so exactly yeah all right right on well i'm glad you guys are adjusting well and making the best of it i yeah. can dig that Cool beans. All right. So let's go ahead and um, let's transition to the decision. Joe, hit us with your decision. So I, I've thought about this for actually quite some time. I've, I've played with this one event in my life, and it mm-hmm. kind of goes back to when I was in eighth grade. Um, I spent most of my life, uh, my elementary school, junior high school years, going to a public school. Mm-hmm. But my parents had a desire for me to go to a Catholic school. Uh, I was raised Roman Catholic, and okay. they wanted me to go to a, a Catholic school for my high school. Um, I grew up in Mount Prospect, Illinois, which back then was just a you know middle class suburbia type of place. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I hadn't made a decision. All my friends were going to go to the local public school, um, and I was kind of wavering between the two. And I remember. Um, it's funny i was thinking about this this morning they actually the public school when we they found out that we were you know all the kids who were thinking about going to the local parochial school mm-hmm. uh, kind of brought us in for a campus tour it was almost like a recruiting uh, thing for college to convince us that we needed to come to the local uh, public school instead oh, wow. um, but I, I i really struggled with the decision and then one day um there was this big uh dirt hill uh, in my neighborhood, uh, near the, the big, the, the high school that we used to go to with our bikes and kind of dirt bike oh, uh, nice. across. Yeah. And I, and there were some high school kids there who kind of knew me a okay. bit and, um, we got into a disagreement and, um, I took a beating for it. Let's just say oh, it no. was, uh, yeah. And, uh, they, they, there was a little bit of a threat and, um, I got this incredible amount of fear about going to the public school that I'd get my, uh, that I, I would end up, uh, getting beat up. Mm-hmm. And so that was the driving factor of me going to, um, going to a Catholic school instead. Mm-hmm. And what's funny about that is I look at the rest of my life, the key moments, uh, in the rest of my life, and they all tie back into that decision of going into a, uh, a Catholic school. I would, there's no way I would have met my wife, Hmm. uh, other than through that, I would not have ended up in my current vocation. Um, you know, if I didn't meet my wife, I wouldn't have had my kids, Mm -hmm. uh, and so on and so forth. So it was that one decision in uh, 1982 Mm -hmm. that kind of created everything else. Wow. And what's interesting about that is you grew up Roman Catholic, you chose to go to a Catholic school and now you're in, uh, like a non-denominational Protestant. And and, and what's funny is I would not have gone in that direction except for the fact that I went to a Catholic school. Right. Um, We were forced to take religion classes, of course. Right. And um, I, you know, I grew up in CCD and all that other thing. So I didn't Mm -hmm. want to take any of the Catholic stuff I had. I was kind of tired of it. Right. So I took kind of religions of the world and other things like that. Interesting. And was exposed to that. And then to graduate from high school, 
uh, you had to go on this retreat mm -hmm. um, and you had a choice. Um, it was an all boys school I went to at the time. That was another factor. I didn't, you know, why I was thinking against going to uh, a private high school. Mm. But to, to graduate, you had to go on this retreat and you had a choice. You can go to a one day um, on a Saturday, all guys retreat, or you could go on this three day retreat, which was co-ed and you'd miss a day of school. How is and that so, even an option? Yeah. I, so it was a no brainer. Yeah. You know? That's <laughs> that's ridiculous. How, how, how do they justify that? Let's get rid of that so Saturday the, afternoon nonsense. It, it was an absolute no brainer. And uh, so I, I went and it was through that, that I actually met people who um, really influenced my, my faith mm. in a dramatic way. It was through that, that I met my wife. Um, you know, we, we became, uh, she went on a different retreat, but we ended up becoming leaders and helping um, with that. And I met my wife through that. Mm. Um, you know, there, there's just so many connections that happen and that, and that all kind of goes back to deciding to go to the, uh, the Catholic school when I was in eighth grade. Wow. Wow. Okay. So then you, you guys met then around 1986 ish. Uh, it would have been 87. We met in 1987, 87. Okay. So it was my freshman year of college. Ah, uh, um, okay. And, uh, no, no, I'm sorry. It was my sophomore year of college. Okay. And it was her, uh, well, she took an off year. Okay. You guys are the same age then? Uh, I'm six months older than her, but oh, nice. I graduated a year before she did technically from high school. Okay. So what, um, was it, was the transition from growing up being a good Catholic boy to being, uh, moved by kind of what, what, brought you into like the Protestant, um, faith. Was that a gradual thing or was it specifically started on this class trip? And then from there, things, it, it was in, in, in many ways, it was a gradual thing. I mean, I was, I was active as a kid. I was an altar boy. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, somehow as I was a youth member of the church council back then. And, uh, whenever the, the, we used to have a priest come in from Quigley, um, which was the seminary in Chicago back in the day. For, mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, I'd always get kind of tapped on the shoulder, like, you should go to become a priest. And I was mm -hmm. like, yeah, that ain't going to happen. Right. Um, hard, hard pass. Know, I, had, I had other plans uh, <laughs> for life. Um, but, uh, you know, it, what happened to me <clears> is, <throat> is when I went on the retreat, I, I met a bunch of uh, charismatic Catholics, basically. Okay. And, and that opened me up to a whole different understanding of faith. Um, and then my wife's family um, had, a, had uh, her uncle mm -hmm. was, um, was a believer. Uh, he, okay. he was a charismatic. Um, and so it was through him that I got influenced. But like after we got married for for several years we we kind of had this thing where we'd always try the catholic church first and try to find a charismatic catholic uh mm -hmm. congregation wherever we lived and then when that didn't work out we'd end up going looking for something else and, gotcha and we did that up until probably the mid uh up until we moved to georgia wow yeah wow okay so for those of you that are listening that might be a little bit curious as to what exactly it means by charismatic Catholic. Um, there's, 
the the image you have in your mind of Catholicism, uh, add on to that a belief and practice in the idea of functioning uh, spiritual gifts, like yep. Holy Spirit motivated. Um, performative almost uh gifts where there it's like um uh like a, a sampling an extract of of miracles sort of thing so um there would be like um you would believe for healing or um prophecy or things of that nature uh the way that the bible describes functioning in gifts so it's able to function with that while also still r- remaining within the boundaries of the, the catholic faith and the non-denominational church in Protestantism is functions in a similar way, just uh, without the boundaries of the Catholic faith. Still motivated by uh, the functioning of the gifts, uh, but from a different uh, dogmatic pursuit of Christianity. Yeah, and that and that was always the challenging part for us because um, you know most charismatic groups within Catholic churches flourished as far as long as the the local priest um would allow it mm-hmm. and you know it was really it really depended upon uh what the attitude of the local priest or the local bishop or cardinal was mm-hmm. and it could get squashed in a moment's notice right um and i remember uh i was at a gathering once and i was talking to someone and they were already having these conversations like well if we can't do this here where would you end up next mm. you know and and you know there's talk about going like to the assembly of god or something right. like that because uh it would just be too complicated within the catholic church right right okay okay so it looks like the some of the the biggest impact was the idea of like a charismatic approach to the religious pursuits in life because like i'm like as i'm creating like this this splintering uh it like a lot of the points are reaching back to this idea of this charismatic because you said your um her uh her uncle was a believer right and then you were impacted by the charismatic catholics that you had met and even after you got married you were looking for that so the idea of this this charismatic pursuit is something that seems to be super important but but there's i mean but there was another aspect of it for me that i kind of um was looking for and it was this idea of um, what the role was for uh, a lay person okay within the church because i mean traditionally you know growing up the role for a lay person was very limited on what they were allowed to do. There mm-hmm. were certain, and I, and I know I'd, I'd, I'd probably have people push back on this for mm-hmm. me now, but I'm just saying my observations in growing up is that there were only certain things that, that lay people could do and participate in. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a, a, a heavy dependence upon the clergy. Right. And when you got into the charismatic movement, the gifts were there, yes, but there was also a bigger push of um, kind of like the priesthood of the believers where, where the lay people could be more active in the mm. church and do more, uh, actually begin to do ministry instead of um, just, you know, coming to church uh, and watching ministry be done. Mm-hmm. And, and I think for me, that was a big thing. Cause I remember, you know, one of the things that really uh, affected me, and this has absolutely nothing to do with, with the charismatic gifts. Mm-hmm. When I was in high school, I was taking a, a class on, on Protestantism. Mm-hmm. And I remember learning about, um, the Baptists and the idea of baptism coming at the place of faith mm-hmm. 
And that just kind of clicking in my mind um, where it, it just made more sense to me than, um, you know, baptism coming at birth, mm-hmm. uh, dealing with, with original sin. And, and so it, it, it's kind of a whole slew of things that, that drove it, but it okay. was, I, I think the underlying idea was that idea that, um, you know, it's an old vineyard saying, I know, but everybody gets to play. Right. You know, okay. not just a select few. I like that. The democratization of priesthood. I'm yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. Cool beans. Okay. So if we take, let's take you back then to eighth grade. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's find out. So this is, well, this, this happened, um, was it the, the summer between eighth grade and freshman year or? I'm, I'm thinking it was probably spring. Okay, so just before you finished yeah. eighth grade, yeah. Okay, so I don't, I don't, I don't remember the exact timing. I, I kind of remember the incident, um, but I remember that was my motivating factor. Okay. Um, okay. And then, um, was it um the disagreement that you guys had was it like a turf thing where you you said that they kind of knew you uh, is it just because the the town was small and you guys were familiar with existing I, in the same I, space or yeah i i don't remember who the people were who the guys were originally mm-hmm. but i was you know i was a pudgy little kid mm-hmm. um i tended to get picked on gotcha uh, okay in 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 elementary school and junior high and so when I showed up with my friends, you know, we were just, it was, we were the ones who got picked on. Hmm. And so we got there and the, the bigger kids were there, man, this sounds so foolish as I, as I say it now, and I'm 51 years old, hmm. um, but you know, or 52 years old, it was, it was, we got there and they decided that, that we were going to get the brunt of whatever. Right. Um, and I, you know, I don't remember it being some like, you know, don't have any image like this was some uh, West Side Story big <laughs> gangbang right. type of thing. I probably got pushed off my bike. I mean, that's probably as far as this thing went. Right. Um, but it, 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 you know, threats were made, and mm-hmm. and they were they were junior high, high school. I mean, they were they were silly. Right. Um, but it 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 put such a fear in me mm. that I just didn't want to face whatever would be there. And, and looking back, the funny part about it is it probably happened in the spring. So you're looking at what, three to six months before you go to school, right? which, you know, would have been water under the bridge. Yeah. You know, it, it, it was foolish, oh, man. a foolish decision in many ways. Mm. Did you end up ever going back to that dirt pile to Yeah. And more than likely. Yeah. <laughs> more than likely. <laughs> That's great. Okay. You know, we just, we used to go there to ride our bikes because there were hills and there were, yeah. you know, it was a, it was an old, from a construction site, they left a big mound of dirt. Right. And that's what we used to do back then. No, I, that's, I, when I lived in Colorado, there was, um, like something similar, like this abandoned field of, I'm guessing where they were trying to pack dirt in for this small community they were building, this gated yeah. community. And they just left it when they were done put up the gate and then all the kids in the neighborhood were like, thanks for the sweet BMX, you know? Yeah. That, that's exactly what it was. Yeah. That's exactly what it was. Nice. Okay. Um, did you have any siblings at the no. time? No. Okay. I was an only child, mm. um, which might, you know, <laughs> yeah. you might be able to read into that. 
Did your did your parents ever have any kids um like later on? No. Okay. Only child. All right. Yeah. My parents weren't able to have kids, so I was an only adopted child, which Oh wow. My wife tells me makes me a very special person and <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Did you know you were adopted um even back then or did you find I out did. later? Yeah. Okay. I did, yeah. Oh, were you the miracle child? Did they tell you that you're the miracle child the, your whole life? Not, no, I, uh, man, you want the guilt. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't have a, um, I don't have a memory in my mind of not knowing I was adopted. Okay. Oh, so I, okay. I've always knew, right. but when we started to migrate away from the Catholic church, mm-hmm. my mom was just, she's like, you know, we had a swear to the, cause they got me through, um, Catholic charities. Mm-hmm. We had a swear that we would raise you Catholic. And now, you know, you leaving, you were breaking our vow. To, oh, I mean, no. it was just that the level of guilt was just mind boggling. It was hilarious. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's funny. Okay. So you, you always knew you were adopted. They didn't. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool beans. Um, then at that time, did you, besides the, the BMX, did you have any other hobbies? at that time um you know we we rode a lot um trying to think back a lot of it was just sports stuff sports stuff okay yeah i played baseball um you know hung out with people Mm -hmm. maybe go to the arcades Ooh, arcades man those are the early arcades yeah yeah wow so then have you seen the film uh stand by me yeah okay so was it that was it you and your buddies you would get on your bikes and then go adventuring yeah and then go to the park uh, and then play some uh, sports or whatever a bit, or? A bit of that yeah okay. a bit of that okay i was I, I like to to fantasize about all of the things, all the trouble, the quote unquote trouble that I would have gotten into if I was, you know, born in like the seventies or like a coming of age rather in the seventies or eighties, because I didn't have, I would not have had access to like video games at home or TV or whatever, whatever. Uh, But then, I mean, that, that lasts for a little bit, but then I realized that I really enjoyed all the time that I spent by myself at home. (laughs) So, (laughs) <laughs> but then when I got into high school, mm-hmm. the better movie is War Games because that's yeah that Matthew Br- uh, that character yeah um, that's me in high school. Oh really? Oh yeah, I was I was just an absolute geek all the way down to the the sweat jacket. Nice, I um, love it. And and so by the time and I don't remember if this is eighth grade or, or early high school, but we're already tinkering with computers a little bit mm-hmm. and and starting to mess in that world wow did you guys have computers um at school yeah we had um in in junior high we had a couple of apple twos Ooh. yeah and then in in you want old in high school we had some commodore pets okay which which are these monsters and then my first computer growing up was a commodore vic 20 vic uh, with a whopping 3k internal memory (laughs) and a cassette deck as your uh as your hard drive wow so three kilobytes of (laughs) internal memory means it could only remember three thousand characters yeah that's it so so when you when you programmed you you i mean we we programmed a lot of stuff back then in basic and things like that but you you learned shorthand because you didn't have a whole lot of memory to spare right um 
right. so when I got in the high school and started learning programming, I used to get in trouble because I would do everything in in, in shorthand mm-hmm. instead of writing out full commands. And I'd be like, yeah, but you're wasting yeah. precious memory. Yeah. I, I think my next computer was a Commodore 64, which got me to 64K right. of in, internal, internal yeah. memory. So, oh, my yeah. gosh. So uh, those of you that are listening that can't fully grasp that, <laughs> imagine if you wrote like an 800-word essay. Eight, seven to 800 words is 3,000 characters. That's it. That's a hundred percent of the storage of this computer. Your and your so, pictures are bigger than that. One photograph from your cell phone is larger than the entire memory of this. I love it. Yeah, and, and it. to save it, like I said, we had a cassette deck, mm-hmm. and so you'd put a cassette tape in, and that would save the data. Mm-hmm. And then you would write down because um, we have a counter, and that's mm-hmm. how you'd keep track of where your programs were by the counter space number. Mm-hmm. And so you'd have to fast forward on the tape to get to the right area to load the program. I didn't get a I didn't get a floppy drive until later. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. This is amazing. This is amazing. <laughs> and then you know we we were involved in the early uh, early renditions of of what the internet would be, which would be bulletin boards and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know. Oh my gosh. I had, um, by the time this airs, uh, you guys will have heard Chris Millard's episode. He talks about late eighties, early nineties, getting involved in bulletin boards and how one day he, um, was interacting with his friend, uh, who he like grew up in UK. His friend was here in the States and he racked up like a 4,000 pound phone bill one month. And, and there were ways around that, but we can't talk about that. Right. Part. Yeah. <laughs> so th- that I, just boosh blew my mind. I, I used to tell people that everything in, in, in uh, war games is pretty accurate except for the um, voice synthesizer. Oh, okay. So, I mean, there was no way back then you could flip a switch and the computer would talk to you. Right. Maybe there was, but I, I didn't know of any way. But pretty much war games dialers, the way you look for open networks and mm-hmm. stuff like that, that's that's how it all used to be back then. Yeah. Oh, man. The, the Wild West of computing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's great. Um, what kind of music were you into? Uh, I was into more like classic rock, stuff from the 70s and 60s. Okay. Um. I really wasn't into the 80s pop. Okay. So, you know, I listened to, uh, um, you know, back then, radio station-wise, The Loop, WMET, Mm. which doesn't exist anymore. Right. But they played stuff from the 70s and and, uh, late 60s. Okay. Okay. So Boston and and, uh, the Beatles. Nice. Nice. Was it, uh, did you listen to any of the heavier, heavier stuff, like Led Zeppelin or... Yeah, Anything I listened like to that? Zeppelin. I listened to Pink Floyd. I didn't get into into hard ro- or to heavy metal. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, a lot of my friends did, but I I just I, I didn't I didn't get into it. Gotcha. Okay. Awesome. You right. know, I learned to play guitar when I was in I think my eighth grade or my freshman year, somewhere around there. Okay. And so I I, I used to enjoy uh, being able to play stuff that I could replicate. Mm. And I didn't have a good electric guitar; I just had an acoustic. So that probably drove me more towards. Uh, gotcha. Okay. You know that kind of stuff. Okay. I'm making a note of that acoustic guitar. 
All right. <laughs> My wife's walking by. She goes, you were in the Springsteen. Don't forget that. <laughs> <laughs> How could you forget? All right. Um, so before, before the bicycle yeah. um, fight, before that epic battle of the, the kiddos and the junior high frustrated teens, um, did you, did you have a plan for what you wanted to do in life then? Were you in your mind? Did you have, okay, I want to be, you know, a, a real estate agent or I want to be an accountant or whatever. Did you have some idea of what life might be like for you in the working world at the time? So in my eighth grade yearbook, I put that I wanted to be um, an electrical engineer. Holy smokes. Because I liked to tinker with things. Okay. I like to take things apart and tinker with them. And, and I think that's what got me into computing early on because that was the ability to, to tinker. Um, and, and that's, I, I mean, I did a lot of stuff with computers in high school. And when I got into college, I decided I didn't want to do that because I didn't want to spend the rest of my life staring at a TV screen. Little uh, did I know. Well, <laughs> well yeah. <laughs> Holy smokes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I like that. I like to tinker. Okay. That's man. That's specific. I don't think I I knew anyone that would have even been able to identify electrical engineering as a profession. I don't know if I knew what it meant, Oh, okay. but, but that's what I said. I wanted to, uh, in eighth grade, that's what I put in my yearbook. Nice. Okay. I can dig that. I can dig that. Uh, were you one of those kids that like would take apart your radio and then yeah. put it back together and then take apart our, this and that, put it back together? Yeah. 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 Okay. Did you ever, um, could you say that you you were able to learn things about how it functioned by taking it apart or was it was the idea of exploring its insides more the the focus than oh, I want to I really want to see how this works how does this charge get from here to there or whatever I think it was just more exploring the insides okay um, you know I, I look back like automotive mechanics and stuff mm -hmm. like that I can't fix a car to save my life hmm. um, and and I think a lot of it was more out of curiosity. Okay. I, wa I wanted to see how things worked. And and that was the thing because, you know, when I was into computing, we did a little bit of hacking back in the day. Mm -hmm. And what I would do is I would want to see what was inside. I was curious about what was inside a network, not necessarily looking to get anything out of it. You know okay. what I mean? Yeah. You just want to see how it was put together. Like, what's yeah, in I, I wanted to explore. I didn't really want to do anything with it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. I'm into that. Yeah. I remember I would, um, when I was in freshman year, I took, um, uh, what was the name of it? Like electric shop, I think it was called. And it was an electrical engineering shop class. Okay. And that I, I, I knew that I liked the idea of tinkering with stuff. And I had seen like flight of the navigator or something like that. So I was, I was motivated by, you know, putting things together and creating stuff without any understanding of how anything worked. And then I took that class and I'm like, Oh, now I understand circuits a little bit. So I would take things apart and try and see like if I could map how the electricity was moving through, you know, yeah, the bit, but yeah, I, I never, I don't know if I ever got that far with it. I was just, it was more when I was younger, I was just curious about that stuff. Nice. 
And, you know, by the time I got into high school, it all kind of changed a bit. But that was right. what, you know, when I was a little kid, I'd take things apart all the time. Nice. Okay, then outside of work, did you have yep. any hopes and dreams for yourself? Was that the dreamer I, facet? I, I don't know. I mean, hmm. you know, I probably had I, I probably had that same dream that all kids, you know, be a big league baseball player or something like okay. that. But um I don't know. I didn't have a whole lot of you know, looking back, I didn't have a whole lot of self confidence or um you know, I, I didn't necessarily believe that 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 something would become of me, so to speak. Okay. Um, I I, I was prob I was pretty insecure. Okay. Um, and, and you know, I I look back at what motivated the decision because realistically, all my friends, you know, none of my friends went to to the the, the local Catholic high school, mm. and my parents put the decision totally on my shoulders, whatever I wanted to do. And so it would have made more sense to follow my friends. Yeah. You would have had some backup. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I didn't. Wow. I didn't. Wow. Okay. Okay. So then would you say that around that time you were more of a go with the flow type of person? Yeah. Than carving your own path. Yeah, probably. Okay. Okay. Alrighty. Um, did you do you remember if you had any quirks? Were you a quirky kid at all? Um not that I remember. Like I said, I was I was chubby. I wasn't um I got I got teased a lot growing mm-hmm. up. Um but not not any quirks that I remember offhand. Mm-hmm. Um but I definitely wasn't one of the popular kids in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, one of my friends, I think, he, I mean, he's still he's still this way, but one of the things that I remember specifically about high school is this kid, he could not step on cracks. <laughs> Absolutely could not. And not for any superstitious reason like he thought it was going to break his mom's back or anything like that. He just... He just couldn't. He could not bring himself to step on a crack because he felt like uh, he wasn't doing a good job of pacing his steps to avoid them. And he also couldn't. uh, He had to start and stop every staircase with his right foot. Those are quirks. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was uh, hilarious. And so I, I, I try and think of my own like, oh, man, what did I do? What what weird silly things that I do and I often can't think of any. So I always yeah. like try and find out if anybody else knows. Like, oh, this is a thing that I do or did or whatever. Um, but I also know like uh, it's it's not it's not all not everybody has them or under like whatever. Yeah, I mean, I I, I had a handful of friends and we just you know we'd hang out. That was pretty much it. Um, hmm. And and we would you know either either hang out at a friend's house um or or like i said just ride around or mm-hmm. uh um you know it kind of like you said on that 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 one movie just you know look for adventure wherever we could find it yeah okay so okay then um if if but so before this this the yeah. fight 
Um, what were you, what were you thinking high school was going to be? I mean, cause I imagine that before you got into that scuffle, you were, you were choosing public school. I probably was. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, I look at like my best friend, um, who we stayed best friends, even though we went in different directions, nice. um, through high school and through college. He was my, actually my best man. Oh, nice. Um, you know, he would have went there. I probably would have went with him. Okay. Um, I, I, you know, there really wasn't anything drawing me to the Catholic school other than my parents' desire for me to go to a Catholic school. Right. Um, and, and the funny part about it is they used to regret after the fact, they would tell me that that was the decision that they regretted because they felt that that was the thing that moved me away from Catholicism Huh. was going to a Catholic school. Wow. Um, and then I remind them that if it wasn't for the Catholic school, they wouldn't have grandchildren or the grandchildren that they currently have. So right. kind of, you know, it went right. both ways. <laughs> but yeah, I, I was probably leaning towards it because, um, okay, you know, it, it, it was there was probably it was bigger. There was more stuff that was available there. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have to wear. Uh, there wasn't a dress code per se. Oh wow. Um, or or anything like that. It was it was nearby. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? It, it was a different world when I went to the the local pro, the the high school because you know I was in the northwest suburbs and and my mm-hmm. prospect was like I said just a plain Jane middle class suburb back then. I right. know it's it's changed a bit since. But we were bringing kids in from Barrington and Inverness and South Barrington. And, hmm. and so I was one of the poor kids in my high school. And, huh. you know, it, it there was a, a huge economic gap. My hmm. parents were were lucky to get me, you know, to be able to afford it where, you know, we, we joke about it. When kids turn 16, a couple kids in my class got, you know, Camaros and right. uh, sports cars brand new. And right. I was driving my parents' 1977 delta 88 so mm-hmm. just you know it, it was what it was oh captain my captain yeah yeah but um you know it would have been it probably would have been an easier decision just to go mm-hmm. to the to the public school back then wow okay uh tell me about college where did you go to college uh i went a year to illinois state uh in normal illinois and uh then i decided what i wanted to study and they didn't have that major and so i transferred back uh to chicago and went to depaul oh okay uh, my undergrad what did you want to study uh finance finance and so i have my bachelor's is in uh i have a bachelor's in finance that focuses primarily on markets and uh investing in securities oh wow i wanted to be a uh, trader on the on the floor of the board no kidding no kidding. Did you, did you, when you started college, did you try and pursue electrical engineering at all or no, any measure no. of by, it? By then, things had dramatically changed because in high school, I got involved on my uh, school newspaper and uh-huh. I started writing for them. Um, and that led me, when I went to Illinois State, I was actually looking to go into journalism. Ah, um, uh, okay. So I went down there, well, A, because I wanted to get out of, you know, away from home. Mm hmm. But um, I was looking to become a, a journalist. But, I, you know, back then, journalists, journalists were kind of a dime a dozen, somewhat as they are today. Yeah. And um, my father really influenced me to start looking at business. Okay. And as I was, 
moving away from journalism into business, I decided I wanted to study finance. Uh, looking back, I'm not sure that that was, you know, mm-hmm. what I should have done. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I've told my kids as they're looking at college now, um, you know, don't, don't do what I tell, don't study what I think is best for you. Go after what you want to study because, yeah. you know, realistically the degree doesn't, you know, necessarily mean you're locked into that field for the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, study what you want to study. Yeah. And, uh, you know, yeah. there's only a handful of degrees that you need to actually do that. Right. Right. There are some certifications that you desperately need for the field. Yeah. But other than that, I mean, just ask most baristas at Starbucks yeah. about their PhD. They'll tell you, you know. Yeah. And so <laughs> when I graduated from from college, that was right after the stock market crash in 88 and so i had a i had a degree and there were guys who had 20 years experience out of work looking for the same job that i was looking for so mm-hmm. i mean i was locked out yeah and so i never i never actually went into that i ended up going into corporate finance which i hated <laughs> it was like working in an accounting department and i mm. just i hated it wow so how long after that then did you decide to start pursuing ministry as a vocation so we talked about it for a bit, but it was always kind of on the side burner. Um, every church we went into, we were very involved in, okay, uh, in one way or another. Usually in children's ministry, okay. And then I got a, I had a job transfer happen in uh, in ninety seven to uh, Georgia, right. and that's where we got involved in a vineyard down uh, outside of Atlanta, mm. <clears throat> and. Um, about a year later, I lost my job and I was trying to figure out what to do. And I got a call from uh, a friend of mine who was a children's pastor at a large mega church out in the Chicagoland area. Mm-hmm. And they were looking for a um, assistant children's pastor um, and asked me if I was interested. And I went to my pastor and I said, well, what do you think about this? And he kind of challenged me and said, well, if you could do anything you know, money were no object. What would you do? And I said, I'd probably go back to school. And he goes, okay, that's not an option. What would you do? And I said, I don't know. I'd probably go plant a church or something. And I came out of nowhere. Hmm. Um, and he said, well, why don't you just stay here? And I ended up staying and taking an internship at the church for a couple of years and doing some at a distance training. And, hmm. uh, you know, we did that, I think for three or four years. And then that's what brought us out to to DeKalb moving back out this way. No kidding. Back north. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. But it, it was a, it was a, I, I think I made the decision. Gosh, I was probably was 30. So I had 10 years in the business world. And then hmm. um, another five years, I, I think we moved up here 80 or 03. So mm-hmm. I was 34. Okay. Another four years of five of, you know, work in the business world and training. Right, right, right. Okay. And so um did you end up going to seminary or anything like that? I did some um I did some online stuff with the vineyard. They have kind of like they had back in the day mm. um like a Bible school. Right. Uh yeah. So I, I went through that. that. Okay. Cool beans. So you said that you were at a vineyard just outside Atlanta. Did you ever go to that warehouse vineyard yes. church? You did? Yeah, Blood and Fire. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we used to go down there um and and uh they did an awful lot of uh a lot of uh uh street ministry and a lot of ministry with the homeless yeah and um it was cool it was really cool they had this uh this thing they used to do they'd set up in an empty lot and start Mm -hmm. grilling chicken 
and then um, put the the worship band up and just crank music into the neighborhood and the whole neighborhood would show up and they'd feed everybody who came. Yeah. But to get food, you'd have to go through a hug line. Huh. Um, and get hugged. And the idea behind it was a lot of these these homeless guys and a lot of these, you know, they, mm. they had absolutely no, you know, healthy human contact, so to speak. Right. Um, and so the idea was you get hugged like a dozen times and then you'd get chicken. No kidding. Um, yeah. But it was, it was cool. It was cool. Man. So I want to say like 95 or maybe even 96. I spent like a month there when they really? were. Really? Yeah. When they were like building it. Okay. And so I was uh, a part of a bunch of their like early outreach stuff. Um, and I remember like they, they were every day they would talk about all the plans that they had for this giant warehouse and all the construction that they were doing and things of that nature. Uh, it was, yeah, it was an interesting and they, experience. And they, pull, they pulled a lot of it off. Really? They, they, wow. they pulled a lot of it off. Yeah. Nice. Uh, I think I remember mostly that it was like, a thousand degrees every day. <laughs> welcome, welcome to Atlanta in the summer, right? Oh my goodness. I was not prepared for that. I was not prepared. And I remember like after I left there, I was a month there and then I came back to Chicago for literally a night and then uh, drove up to Minnesota to go to uh, uh, like a week long summer camp. And I remember um, on just on like the 10 hour drive, I peed like 40 times. <laughs> And it was only, and then it wasn't in, until that happened. I was like, man, when was the last time I even peed before this? What has happened? And then like, I asked some people and they're like, oh, it's probably because you were sweating all day. There was not, there was no yep. moisture inside of you to even find its way to your bladder. So I was like, oh man. Yeah. Summers were brutal. Yeah. But the winters were sweet. They lasted like two weeks. Yeah. Good times. You get a little bit of snow, you go, oh, that's pretty. And then it would melt by noon. Right. And then winter was over. So yeah. that was nice. <laughs> the end. <laughs> the, the end. end. <laughs> uh yeah, when I lived, I lived in when I lived in Southern Colorado, uh, it was like that. The the morning, uh, after the, the evening snowfall, the overnight snowfall, the morning was yeah. always one of the most beautiful things. But then by like noon to two, everything was melted. Yep. So you got to see it all again the next day, but you didn't have to deal with all of the snow, but you got to see all of really beautiful snow, which I loved uh, about Colorado. The only thing that was terrifying over there is uh, they put sand on top of ice and that, yeah. that doesn't help with anything. So they, they do that in in Atlanta too. I mean, it's, they don't have the equipment. And yeah. So, if we so an ice storm like, or a real snowstorm, it would just be a disaster. Oh yeah. I remember the first time it snowed when I was living in Dallas, Texas, everybody lost their minds. Yeah. Lost their mind. I was like, guys, it's like a half of an inch of snow. What's happened? Like businesses shut down. People didn't go to work. You know, there were so many accidents. I'm like, this is hilarious yeah. and terrifying. So we rented this house and it was, um, our driveway kind of faced into a, it, it, it was like a T intersection that, mm -hmm. that kind of came into our house and our house faced this T intersection. Okay. And the landlord planted all of these huge southern pines in front of the house. It was really weird on how they were planted, like right next to the road. Mm. And I remember asking, you know, why, why is that? And they're like, you'll see come winter. Oh. And so in the winter, the, the road would ice and these cars would be come down the hill to our house in this T intersection. And they would just slide through the intersection. And, smash. and they would start, it'd be like a pinball machine as they were hitting these, these southern pines so that they wouldn't hit the house. Oh my gosh. <laughs> It was like, okay, I get it. You're guarding the house. With yeah. These, these massive. Southern oh my pines. gosh. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
Wow. My my wife lives, uh, her family lives in a small town in Ohio. And to get to her house as you're uh, driving down this one road that has like two little mini wines, yep. one of the houses at that corner has a bunch of these like cement um, pillars that are only like three feet high. Right. But there are a bunch of them and they painted them. And I was like, why do they have those stupid ornaments? And then one day I saw like uh, a bumper on the floor and I was like, (laughs) duh, obviously (laughs) that makes sense. I don't want people driving into my house either. Right. Yep. Oh gosh. Wow. Cool beans. All right. So at this point of the show, what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. We'll listen to a little bit of music. And when we come back, we will read the story that I will have written for Joe. It'll be called Other Joe. I, it might have to be called like Other Joe Holdup because the episode before this, his name is also Joe, which is hilarious. It's my favorite. Um, but yeah, stick around. We'll be right back. break i'd like to reiterate my guest today is joe holda if you'd like to find him on the interwebs you can go to his website at joeholda.com you can visit his church's website at vineyarddecalb.org and if you want to find him on twitter it is at padre joe not affiliated with the san diego padres but he is padre joe all right joe are you ready for your story i'm so ready. i'm ready i'm ready excellent and i um so you guys can't you have no idea, but we're uh, on a, a Zoom call now, and uh, I made sure to put the camera on because it's always a little awkward when I'm reading a story and the person's just watching me read the story. So I, I relish those moments of awkward human interaction. It's they're great, <laughs> they're great. <laughs> All right, here we go. This is Other Joe. Other Joe stands triumphant on the muddy hill, lightly dusted with snow, slowly tumbling from the skies above. The frosty air numbs the stinging in his partially closed left eye. His nose runs steadily with a mixture of blood and mucus. I wish he would hit me again. I wish he would try. I might not win, but as you can see, I'm up here on the mountain, not him. Other Joe scans the expanse of his domain, a mostly empty, long-abandoned construction site. The fencing at the edges that are falling over and the tire treads leading away from the site, long filled with dirt and covered over in millions of children's footprints other joe that's just a mound of dirt man you should come on let's get out of here they might come back encourages ricky enders other joe's 
best friends since diapers. Ricky and other Joe have been two peas in a pod for as long as either of them can remember. Ricky, let them come. I'm Conan. Other Joe, you haven't even seen the movie yet. What if he loses in the end? Are you mental? Arnold lose? No, he can't lose. He won't lose. Neither will I. I'm Conan. Other Joe asserts confidently. The pummeling he received triggered a fight-or-flight response that filled his mind with fancy. He stands proudly atop the muddy mound on the abandoned construction site. The bicycle tire tracks overlapping each other look like scribbles on paper from atop his domain. Other Joe stares into the sky, watching the snowflakes fall. The temperature drops sharply, and a chill covers Other Joe's young body. His friends giggle as they shiver at the base of the mound, waiting for Other Joe to descend from his throne of cake dirt and join them for the bike ride home. Brother Joe, Ricky, Edmund Worthington, who was the tallest of the bunch, but stood with a hunch to shrink himself to his friend's level. And Terrence, whose last name neither of them knew, was the quietest of the small group of friends. All walked their bicycles home after slipping and sliding along the freshly powdered streets in the early onset evening of this unusually cold spring day. Evening comes to a close and makes way for the morning. Brother Joe peers out his bedroom window over a sea of white. His typically normal suburban neighborhood is covered in a fresh blanket of snow. The park across the street looks like a great salt flat, barren and still. The branches of the trees and bushes with budding leaves and flowers are hanging low beneath the weight of the overnight snowfall. I am Conan the Ice Barbarian, Brother Joe chants to himself quietly. He quickly dresses in his black snow boots, his seldom used maroon, two sizes, two large snow pants, and his three favorite hoodies before heading out on an adventure into the frozen wilderness of Mount Prospect, Illinois. He storms out the front door and leaps into the soft, powdery snow, his crash into the mounds at the base of his front porch plume on either side of him, flitting about around him. Pausing for a moment to let the snow settle, he tucks his chin into his chest, staring ahead through his eyebrows, and walks confidently along the path to the street. Back and forth he paces, stamping down the snow. With every step, traces, trace amounts of snow begin to slowly fill his boots. His gait slows as he steadily as he is steadily becoming over-encumbered. Undeterred, he continues stomping the path from his home to the street until there is a clear path along the sidewalk. Other Joe, sweetie? Other Joe's mother calls out softly. Would you like some cocoa? You seem to be working hard out there. You must be tired and so cold. Please come in and have some cocoa. Mom? Through chattering teeth, he replies, Thank you, but I am Conan, and Conan doesn't stop for cocoa. Not even when it's cold. He, um, I... I don't know. Yeah, I'm super cold. I'll be in in just a minute. But Conan drinks Ovaltine. Do we have any of that? Confused, Other Joe's mother stares at her perfect little miracle and clarifies, you're, you're Conan now? And Conan only drinks Ovaltine? Is, is that right? Other Joe stops and stands with his chest puffed out. Yes, that I am. He, he, him I am. What's the right way to say that? Giggling, she offers, yes, I am he. Yes, I am he. And he only drinks Ovaltine. Unless we don't have it. Okay, honey, I'll check. Please come in, though. School's out for the day. I'll make you breakfast. Many moons and countless snowfalls later, in the wee hours of a balmy June 1st evening, Arthur Joe's face is lit by the monochromatic offering from the CRT monitor mere inches from his round face. Feverishly clicking at the keyboard, he scribes his own interpretation of the New Testament. He sits back, periodically enjoying the satisfying crunch of his spine going snap, crackle, and pop like breakfast cereal, before returning to his hunched position. He sits in the middle of his bed, surrounded by hundreds of note cards with lines of script numbered meticulously that compile a simple learning program. 
How's my little Samson doing? Other Joe's mother walks in with a tall, piping hot mug of Ovaltine. Mom, come on. It's Conan. I'm Conan. I already have short hair, so I can't be Samson. Besides, Conan never loses. Oh, that's nice, dear. Tell me what you're working on again. Mom, for the hundredth time, I'm writing my interpretation of the second half of the Bible. I think people ask too many questions. I want more people to have a better understanding of it all, you know? I don't think... I don't think it is really easy for everyone to understand, and I want to help people get it. Okay, honey. Please don't stay up too late, though. It's already after midnight, and you have school in the morning. Exasperated, Brother Joe relents. Sighing louder, he snorts, fine. I'm nowhere near done. I probably have, like, I don't know, a thousand more nights like this, okay? Like a thousand. Surprised, yet patient with her boy, she reassures. reassures. A thousand nights? Wow, that's almost three years. You'll, you'll be into college by then. I sure you hope you'll have the time. Ooh, good point. I better get going. I'm so proud of you, but not too late. Please, my sweet little Samson. Conan! Hi! Hey! Conan! Giggling to herself. Oh, yes, that's right. Conan. Good night, dear. Arthur Joe's mom closes the door softly and prays quietly for her son, thumbing her rosary as she heads to bed. Arthur Joe pauses for a moment and recounts aloud, A thousand nights? That's one less than Arabian nights. 1,010 nights it is, determined other Joe, whether ill or well, busy with schoolwork, lifting weights in the gym, his summer job, his chores, he toiled late into the evenings for 1,010 days and nights, completing his masterpiece. March 7th, 1986, other Joe furiously types, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. He balls his hands into fists, crackling his knuckles, and then opens them wide, placing his palms together and pushes them against each other, lifting his elbows to stretch his weary fingers. Finished. I did it. Other Joe shouts aloud. He squints through the darkness with tired eyes, struggling to find colors and shapes outside this monochromatic twist and turn of the face type native to the Commodore 64 operating system. With his palms, he rubs his eyes and again glares into the darkness to find his alarm clock sitting quietly on his bedside table. The ticking of each second echoes in the otherwise silent room. Its round body takes form in the dark, revealing a face with numbers and hash marks and a long, persistent arm chasing every passing moment. The small metallic clock reads 3.15 a.m. Other Joe jokes, ha, huh, maybe I should delete this last sentence and finish in a minute. Ha, that's ridiculous. I did it, though. 1,010 nights. The end of the school year draws nigh. Other Joe hands the slideshow operator a small floppy disk and negotiates its usage, usage when his name is called so his personal slide will resemble all of his hard work. Robin Goodman calls the principal. She rises and traverses the stage, taking her diploma and pausing for a photo. The principal continues calling names until he reaches. Other Joe Holder. The lights go out in the gymnasium and an 8-bit synth version of More Than a Feeling begins playing in the <laughs> overhead slide, which up until this point had shown baby photos and young children, young childhood memories for each graduate, revealed a beautifully rendered ACI, uh, ACI image of other Joe as Conan crying out, I am Conan. And here, read this. The specimen of a man in the image holds a book with the letters C-R-K-J-V. Other Joe shouts as he makes his way along the stage, the book he's holding is called Conan Rewrites the King James Version. That's me. I am he. If you want to read my interpretation, I have a large collection of discs for you. He triumphantly throws his fist in the air as he steps off the stage and heads back to his seat. The end. <laughs> <laughs>
So was that was that pretty accurate to how you might have <laughs> responded if you didn't if you didn't you know choose Catholic school? <laughs> that was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. They're not usually that playful. I don't know. I don't know what, what, I mean, I just started like writing that moment of you on the mound and I was like, Oh, you know what? We mentioned it being like an eighties, like him and his buddies riding bikes reminded me of stand by me. So I just, it came out super playful. I was really happy with it. Really happy. With that it. was good. That was good. Yeah. And I looked Conan came out 1982 in spring of 1982. So I feel like, okay, that's, that's really good motivation for a kid seeing Arnold swinging a sword. I'm into it. I'm and, into it. And we all saw it back in 1982. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh, and also I found out by accident that there was like a blizzard in the spring in like April of 82. Was there? Yeah. Yeah, I don't, wow. I don't, yeah, I was just writing like, oh, how cold was it? Because I like to check the weather uh, on the like different time periods. And like there was an article that was like crazy blizzard, like 10 inches of snow in April and May. And I was like, whoa, OK. So I, I remember see, I don't remember that, but I do remember we had a cold snap similar to like this one we're going through right now mm-hmm. where it was like 20 below zero. Sometime yeah. that winter yeah. when I was in eighth grade, but. Wow. That was wild. I love the fact, I don't know if you know this or not, but you made the comment about looking out my window into the park across the street. Mm-hmm. There actually was a, a park across the street from the house I grew up in. So <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so good yes. job. Thanks. <laughs> oh, man. I love hearing that. I love it when I just make a guess at something and it ends up being, you know, accurate. That's so fun. <laughs> That's so fun. Did you drink Ovaltine as a kid? I did not. No. I don't think I've ever had Ovaltine, to be honest with you. I remember it from a a Christmas story. Yeah. And I like, we never had it growing up. So I was like, man, did people drink that? Maybe (laughs) I drank that. I don't know. I just figure like if, if, if this, if this version of Joe is motivated by movie characters, um, then for sure he would be after that Ovaltine, you know, because that was such a big deal in that, that Christmas story movie. I love the picture of being locked in my room, staring at a screen, <laughs> typing away endlessly. There's some truth to that, actually, during yeah. high school. I did I did a lot of that. Not writing a new version of the King James Bible, but. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember you said that you were, it was like War Games was, you yeah. know, that was the, yeah. the hot thing. So I, I imagine there were going to be lots of days where you were just there up late at night, click clacking away. And I was looking through. I was trying to incorporate um, like a floppy disk for it. And mm-hmm. we had, we had made mention of what you started on and what you upgraded to later. Yeah. And there was, there was a floppy disk that came out. It was a 1511, I want to say uh, for the Commodore 64. But then mm-hmm. I like fell down this rabbit hole of looking up <laughs> uh, like the, 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 the next generation floppy disk, you know, and they were really, really expensive. Like, the 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 first one that I saw was like a thousand dollars for a floppy. You mean currently? Disc. No, like when it were when it released. Oh. Yeah, yeah. The, the they were they were pricey. I was like, they this is pricey, bonkers, bonkers. And I like I remember VCRs were really expensive when they first came out. So I mean, I get it, but why was a thousand dollars? Why was that? That was just the number. It, technology it all was expensive back then yeah and uh you know 
I think an Apple 2C probably costs the same. It actually costs more than what uh, like a MacBook would run you now, a basic MacBook right. Air. It's a couple grand. And, and but mind you, that's in 1982 dollars. Right, 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 right. You know, a serious investment. Yeah. So like the when I first saw the, the price tag for that uh, floppy disk, it gave it in modern day equivalent. But I didn't mm-hmm. notice that little caveat. So I was like, why is this $2,400? Who bought that? And then it was like, oh, no, no, that's that's the equivalent. It was a thousand. I'm like, oh, who bought that? You know, not so not so but yeah that's that's great so you you no, did you did mention you had friends how 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 big was your friend group as a kid um there? there were probably three or four of us yeah i mean back in eighth grade there were probably three or four of us and in high school it was probably i mean somewhat of a different group but it was still about the same number okay okay so you, you got that pretty close nice did you did you have that tall kid in your group or was it a bunch of short kids? Um, I, I, there was a taller kid, but he wasn't like mammoth. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I remember there was, um, when I was in sixth or seventh grade, there was a kid that went to my grade school and this mm-hmm. dude, I mean, he had flunked twice. So uh, he was two years older than everybody, but he was that much taller. <laughs> Like he was dunking in when we were in seventh grade. Right. And so he, um, he would always like hunch and like shrink himself. So he was on eye with like eye level with most everybody else. I always remember that, uh, he would always like lean forward and then like you would see him stand up and pop his back and then go right back to hunching. So I just imagined every, every like friend kid friend group has one of those, you know? Yeah, you know, it's funny because when I was in high school, like the basketball players were like slightly hot, taller than us, mm. right? But I went to DePaul for college and um, this is back when DePaul was like good. Mm-hmm. And I'd have a couple basketball players um, in classes of mine and they would just be mammoths. I mean, they would be towering over all of us. Yeah. Now, granted, some of those kids were good enough to play NBA ball later, but still it was, it was like night and day from these, wow. you know, little suburban white kids to uh (laughs) (laughs) future nba players recruited mammoths yeah yeah goodness yeah that was so it's um when i grew up um playing sports like in around my my school and in high school uh and there was a kid who's who was pretty good at football he was probably Mm -hmm. like five eight five nine really fast right and he went to, um, I don't remember what what school he was hoping to get into for college, but he was he was he went to like a combine in Champaign, mm-hmm. and um, he was like catching these passes from these the kids that played like all those corn fed kids, mm-hmm. like, and he was like, I've no one has ever thrown me a pass that hard in my life. <laughs> And they were just like, they were the, the, like the people like just like him hoping to get on a team. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I can, I can, I can gleefully imagine, you know, the idea of like at DePaul looking up at all of these statues of, of people. (laughs) (laughs) 
man. Man, what a shift in the worldview. That's so funny. Oh. So was uh was there any other bit that you were able to see? Well, okay, so I know, it, like I said, it was it was it was playful. Um, were you were you able to at least see yourself in there? Like, I was. Yeah, I was. Okay. It was interesting, and I even saw my mom. That was that yeah. was funny, um, because you you kind of nailed her a bit. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I was able to see myself, and it was um, it was a very different image of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, at first I wasn't sure when you said, uh, when you went, you know, to a later time, I wasn't sure how far later it was. Mm -hmm. And as you're reading the story, I'm thinking, so am I living in my parents' house? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. Like, oh, wow. And then you, and then you dated it and I'm like, okay, so I'm still in high school here. Yeah. Okay. But it was interesting, though, because I don't think I operated even in high school with that amount of confidence, Mm -hmm. that sense of 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 who I am. So that was interesting. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Who? uh, Okay. If 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 that's the case, what 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 can you liken like your your self image to back then? Like if you didn't operate in that measure of confidence, where whereabouts were you? I, you know, I was, I was a quiet kid. I was, I'm still somewhat of an introvert. And so, okay. um, you know, I, I tended to just be the quiet kid in the back. Mm-hmm. Um, don't make a whole lot of waves per se. Okay. Um, you know, mm-hmm. somewhat insecure. Okay. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so it was interesting seeing the contrast mm. between all of a sudden, you know, I am Conan hear me roar right yeah i'm not going to take anything from anybody type of attitude to the okay we'll just you know kind of stay under the radar Mm -hmm. okay okay yeah i i feel like i wanted to i liked the idea of making you like that kid that was like no i'm i can do anything but based on our conversation before i i feel like if i was going to do that i needed to give him uh like this fake courage right Mm -hmm. so i I feel like if it was going to happen it had to happen because he was like donning the mantle of arnold schwarzenegger you know yeah 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 okay okay um so as an as an introvert Mm -hmm. do you is it a, a regular thing that you have to overcome when you are um teaching in front of groups of people when you no it's it's a different it's a different animal because when I'm like, I can speak in front of a large group with no issue whatsoever. Mm-hmm. It's when I come off the stage and have to speak one-on-one oh. that I start having the, so like small talk becomes complicated for me at times. Interesting. And so, you know, Cindy is more of an extrovert, my wife. Right. And so it's funny when we're in a small talk con- or situation, I tend to drag her along because she can initiate the s- small talk and then I can jump into it. Gotcha. Okay. But it's, it's like, like that piece is hard, but you know, speaking in front of people, that's nothing. Mm. I mean that, that, and that doesn't even, um, I don't know. It, it's just a different environment mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So would it, would it change if what you were doing in front of all those people was more interactive do you think that might impact? Not you a necessarily. Bit more? No, not necessarily. And I don't know why that is, but it's it's more of the, um, like you the know, put me in a intimate. party, and mm. I'm the guy on the wall. Hmm. You okay. know what I mean? Yeah. 
I'm the wow. guy on the wall, just kind of minding my own business. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, ask me to make a presentation, ask me to make a speech. I can do that without a problem. Easy peasy. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But you know, if I had to go introduce myself to somebody and just start a, <laughs> you know, a chatter, yeah. uh, man, I just, it would be, it would be a mess. <laughs> okay. Does, um, does, uh, so you do, we, we talked a little bit, um, I think mostly off the air, uh, coaching, right? Yeah. Uh, does that play a part in that when you're doing one-on-one coaching or is it less? Not, not really. Not because really the... what's interesting about coaching, at least uh, for me, um, is it's a lot more just asking questions and pulling mm-hmm. stuff out of people. Okay. And so there's an inquisitive element to it. Mm-hmm. Um, where you're just asking people about themselves and you're asking questions and trying to get them to think and brainstorm. Mm -hmm. And so that, um, you know, the introverted part doesn't kind of kick into that, so to speak. It's more like interviewing. Right. um, Okay. In some ways, because you're getting people to, to kind of process what they want to do. So, you know, we have a plan. It's, it's not, it's not a big issue. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, my issue is is if we're in a party and you just drop me in the middle of a room, right? You know, I'm not going to be the guy kind of working it. the room. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So it's my my wife is like that. Um, yeah. For somebody that she likes to be out and about, mm-hmm. but she hates small talk. Yeah. Like hates it, and like part of it for her is she's like, I just, it's just a waste of time. I don't care about your day. I don't care about your dog. I don't, I don't care about what pants you put on your three or I don't care, you know? Uh, but she's more like, I want to talk about meaty stuff, but she gets like, a, like frustrated, you know, with, with small talk and the idea of having to maintain relationships with small talk, you know? Yeah. So yeah, okay. I get that. I totally get that. Yeah. Like if, if there's, if there's like a topic or something where, you know, I'm mm-hmm. good, we're good. We can go for hours. Gotcha. Okay. But if it's just like, you know, so Daniel, how's the weather? Right, yeah. Right. You know, <laughs> how's your dog doing right. or cat doing or yeah. whatever? You know, that that just, I kind of sit there like, I, I run out of topics. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. And, and so, you know, but all of a sudden, if you want to talk about something, mm-hmm. I can go for a specific I can go for hours. Okay. Okay. I can dig that. I can if that makes that. sense. Yeah. No, no I, I totally get it. So the way that I would um, uh, Describe that as if there's a plan, then you're comfortable, right? Yeah. But if, yeah. if there's no plan, then it's like, no, I don't, I don't want to generate a plan on the spot with somebody. You know, I, I, I can, I can totally see that. So as I try and, under, because for me, I don't mind small talk because mm-hmm. uh, part of it for me is the adventure of just trying to mess around until yeah. there's something interesting to talk about. Right. Yeah. And so if people are talking about their day uh, and then if I, if I see that the whole thing is surface level, then I'll make a game out of asking about all of the stupid things I can just to keep them going with this. I mean, if we're not going to get any deeper, all right, well, I mean, tell me all about the picture frame, your favorite picture frame, you know, (laughs) I don't care. You know, Uh, how do you organize your books on your bookshelf? Do you do it? Like by size, by color, do you actually library it and put it, you know, so I'll just ask people nonsense because I, like it turns into a game like, oh, this is, this is what we're playing. Okay. You know, and I think that part of that for me is, um, learning how to socially interact with people, um, 
from like as as a kid growing up, very inquisitive, challenging everything, wanting to know all of the answers. Mm-hmm. Right. And if if I'm talking to somebody that is not going to give me the answers, then all right, well, let's waste both of each other's time, you know. And see, now I was very similar to that as a kid, mm-hmm. except my response was different. Okay. So I was very inquisitive. I would push back. I would challenge ideas. I would try to understand things. Mm-hmm. But if we weren't going anywhere, then I was done. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I get it. I just, I guess for me, like where we diverge there is you're like, okay, yeah. nope, I'm not, I'm going to shrink away. And then I'm just like, okay, I'm going to ruin your day. Like you're ruining it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay. I can dig that. This brings whole new insight to a trip you and I were on together several years ago. And now I'm, now I'm understanding things yeah. so much better. <laughs> yeah. 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 I've, man, I, I have always, are you still recording? Yes. Okay. Good. Sorry. My, there was a hiccup and I, I've had so many of these episodes where, well, let me also say what time, 2736. I've had like so many of these episodes where it'll just like get tired of recording and then stop. And then like 20 minutes later, I realize how far back do I have to go? There was one where I read the story and we were talking about it after. And it was just like, it had popped up this little notification about something like asking me to verify. And so it just didn't record anything. So Sorry. Yeah, well, so the first service we streamed when the pandemic hit. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. We thought we had everything set up. We hit stream. We're going. We're doing the whole nine yards. We're like 15 minutes into the whole service. And someone texts me and says, Hey, where's the stream? Oh, no. And we're like, What? And like, we never thought like maybe we should have the stream broadcasting in the background so we can make sure it's actually there. Yeah. And I start like waving my hands to, to stop everything. And they're like, what? And I'm like, we're not streaming. We're, <laughs> we're just going to do this. On oh no. <laughs> we're like, what? Uh, you know? <laughs> that's the worst. What, what was Sorry. the problem? What was the problem? We didn't know what we were doing. We didn't have something set up. Right. Mm. We just assumed if we hit a button, it would work. That would we be didn't, the end of it. You know, gotcha. Oh, that's so funny. That's so funny. But but I remember the you know worship team's looking at us like, what are you doing? You want us to do that all over again? Yeah. We're like, yeah, just yeah. you know, please. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. That's so funny. And then, so how do you guys, how do you guys navigate that? Is it your um, everybody's like on a Zoom call from their house? No, no. So what we do is we do a live stream on Facebook and YouTube. Okay. And. Uh, we're we're really high tech. I mean, I basically have an iPhone on a on a uh, tripod. Nice. And it's run into a computer, and we've got a program that that kind of manipulates it and is able to shoot it to multiple streams simultaneously. Okay. And then we've learned that somebody in the room has to be actually watching one of the streams to make sure we're actually right. streaming nice. at the time. Yeah. Um. But that's how we do it, and then it records at the end. Mm-hmm. And so it's sitting there for posterity, and that's okay. Is, I, is I know the, a couple of churches that go ahead. Um, there no that did like Zoom church. Okay, but that's that can get complicated. Okay, but your your whole um, band is physically there. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Now they are. Now they are. Okay. When we when we shut, you know, we had um, 
this has been a weird season because everything changes on a weekly basis. Mm. But when the initial shutdown happened, we moved the whole church, basically the whole recording into my, into my living room. Oh, and wow. so, um, you know, my son would be on guitar, Cindy would, would sing and we'd just do that. And it would kind of be like from our living room. Gotcha. And we did that for about a month and a half. And then we opened up and then we had a COVID outbreak happen at the church. Oh, wow. Um, we got it. A couple other people got it. And so we started, it was funny. We started um, like clipping old worship sets and then mm. getting somebody else to preach from their, from their living room and kind of, you know, put a whole package together and upload it in the more, you know, wow. Sunday morning and all that stuff. And gotcha. it's, it, it, it's funny because you never thought you'd ever do this. I joke, I've become a televangelist nice. in my old age. <laughs> you know, I never, I never planned on that, but right, now yeah. that's, that's what we do. Wow. Wow. So are you are you guys super excited then about the potential of, with these vaccines to make in person, you know, stuff I, a thing again? In or? one sense, yeah, um, I'm more excited about the snow going away and being <laughs> able to do stuff outside again. Fair um, Fair but enough. at at the same time, I'm a realist. I think, um, you know, what is it? What do they say? Twenty one days forms a habit, right? Mm -hmm. And we've done this for a year now, and yeah. so habits have been formed. And I don't think. We're going back to what we were a year ago. Right. And so things have to change. What church looks like has to change. And yeah, I don't think anybody knows what that looks like yet. Hmm. Do you think you guys will uh, continue to stream it even after things open back up just in case? I don't think, I don't think any, I don't think we have a choice anymore. Mm. Honestly, I don't think, um, you know, I'm, uh, people have gotten comfortable not coming to church. Mm. And our church has grown outside of our community. So we have okay. people who are who consider us to be their church now who don't live anywhere near us. Wow. And so how do you deal with that? And right. so that, you know, these are the challenges. Mm -hmm. um, so I, 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 you know, once the genie's out of the bottle, so to speak, you can't get it back in. And right. I don't see how you can stop streaming. Right. Okay. Smart. I can dig that. I can dig that. I'm, 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 I have been curious um, <clears throat> what the um, adjustment is going to be like for, for a lot of churches, you know, a lot of the ones that perhaps were vehement about like, no, like you have to come or else it's not really church. Are they going to cut it all off and make everybody come back in or even like go the opposite? Like what are the percentage of, of church groups that are going to be like, no, 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 we're just going to stick to, streaming from now on right and your your whole fellowship is going to be investing in your community where you are you know and then you i, I know a lot it. of people who are leaning towards that especially if they didn't have a, a permanent building mm -hmm. so if they were like renting a school or or mm. something like that, that that they're um you know i've got a friend who's in la who you know, they don't know when they're going to get their school that they've been renting back. Mm. They're not optimistic until 2022 at this point. Mm. So that forces them to completely change everything. Wow. Um, and, and you start seeing, you start hearing discussions about um, like maybe we become a bunch of small church, small house churches that meet once a month in a park or something mm. to have community. Right. But now we're going to start investing in smaller groups within neighborhoods and have the ministry come out of those smaller groups within the neighborhood. So let's say you've got four or five people who live in your neighborhood, you meet together and now you go and do ministry in your community. So, mm. you know, 
um, a friend of mine in Puerto Rico is already starting to talk about, um, you know, they've got a big food pantry, but what if they, instead of having everyone come to the food pantry, what if somehow they resourced all of these small groups in the neighborhood? So if people needed things, they went to somebody in their neighborhood to get it instead of having to come to the, the main church. Right. And it's right. beginning to change his whole outlook on what the future looks like. Hmm. Um, and, and those are the discussions that are happening right now. And I, I don't think anybody knows for certain what it'll look like come June or what it'll look like come next year. My gut is that small neighborhood model is probably going to be a lot more prevalent than than the big everyone come together. Hmm. That's good but I could be wrong. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think one of the one of the bright spots for 2020 for me was all of the projecting that I'm, mm -hmm. I've been like playfully doing throughout the year. Like uh, how, how has this permanently changed the landscape for this or that for this, you know? And yeah. um, it's, it's, it's just been fun kind of positing what certain industries are going to look like, what, you know, how people are going to relate relationally, you know? And I like, I'm really excited to see the absolute nightmare of like, when things quote unquote open back up to normal that the, the first couple weeks of people like all of their pent up frustration just boosh all at once you know being unleashed yeah. on the world um, i'm curious to see how like service workers are gonna respond where you know like working in food and beverage and hotels and how much travel is gonna be coming back up or not yeah you know so yeah i i think you know like i said we talk about 21 days forming a habit new habits have been formed yeah and some of these things i don't think are going away mm -hmm. um you know I, I i met my daughter lives in arlington heights now and we met them last summer uh downtown arlington heights pretty much closed all of their streets and all the restaurants came out into the streets mm -hmm. and set up like outdoor cafes and like like what everybody else did yeah but we met them there and we went to this little spanish place and we're eating tapas out outside and i kind of looked at them and i thought this isn't going to go away mm. this is nice yeah people are enjoying this yeah they're going to want this to stay yeah and so the future is going to be okay you're going to have to you know outdoor dining is here yeah you know people aren't going to want to say oh, okay we can go back inside into a crowded room with air conditioning mm -hmm. You know, no, yeah. they're going to want to stay outside because it's enjoyable. Yeah, for sure. Except for now. Right. right. <laughs> now, well, you know, I mean, you'd be but, surprised. I know. So I know um, a bunch of people that are in food and beverage and yeah. I've seen so many people asking like, yo, who's still waiting tables outside? Who's still serving people outside? And there are lots of people that are like, well, I don't care. I, I want to sit down. It's like, bro, it's negative. And there's get go home, go home. Yeah. You know? So. Like even in January, I, I just, when there was there was no snow, but it was like in single digits. I had this dude yeah. who still had tables outside, and they were like in their parkas, like all bundled up, just to sit. You know, I, so. I just think some of the things that we've started to do, we we've gotten used to, mm -hmm. and I don't think they're going away. Yeah, and and you know, from 
I think from a business perspective and a church perspective, you've got to realize that and start asking, well, how do we change? How do we mm-hmm. adapt to right. whatever that is? Yeah. And not just assume it's all coming back to normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, this, this is one of the few. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna, this is one of the few times that an entire culture worldwide is shifted. Mm-hmm. And without without like a war or something, mm-hmm. and and it just doesn't go back to the way it was. Yeah, it's, there's there's a new norm, and mm-hmm. so it's figuring out what that is. Yeah, yeah, the 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 idea of normal that has shifted the way that it has, and yep. what's acceptable, yep. what's what's tolerable, and all that jazz. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be uh, interesting. It's gonna be interesting. Cool. All right. All right. Did you have any other um, hot takes about this experience, the whole thing? Chatting no, it about. was a lot of fun. Good. It was a lot of fun. It really was. Good. I'm glad. I'm and, glad you uh, enjoyed it. It got me thinking about stuff, and, and yeah. I enjoyed it. I am Conan. You Hear are me Conan. roar. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Right. Okay. So would you, if anything like this happened, would you be more like, I am Conan, or would you be, I am Arnold? Which would have been more exciting for you to identify with? The character in the movie or the guy that played the Probably character? the character in the movie back then. Yeah, okay. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, because, you know, you got to remember, back then, Arnold Schwarzenegger was unheard of. Yeah. I mean, he had done uh, Hercules in New York, and he had yep. started competing in bodybuilding. I think the, this one, though, was like his first major commercial success, and then he, like, became Arnold. Right after this. Yeah, he did a couple of real cheesy movies prior to that, I think. Yeah. But this was the big one. Yeah. Oh, Hercules in New York is so terrible. It's so terrible. And his English was so bad that they had to dub every line of his. Well, he doesn't have a lot of lines in Conan, if you remember. Yeah. So- <laughs> I do. I do. I do. And it's like, so it's, it's, it, <laughs> if you look back on his you know, catalog of films. It's, it's been fun watching him. Cause like Terminator, he only had like 80 words. Yeah. Yeah. In all of Terminator. Right. And, but like, it, I don't know if he lift too, too many weights and his mouth got too strong, but even, <laughs> even in his native tongue, right. They didn't want to let him record in, in that native tongue just because they're like, bro, we, nobody understands what you're saying. Uh, but man that's great yeah okay i can dig it cool beans conan awesome all right i, th- I think i think this is a good place to to wind it all down wind it all together okay um so that being said thank you again to my guest today joe holda again if you want to follow him on the socials Check out joeholda.com or at Padre Joe on Twitter. Mostly that's mm-hmm. going to be about soccer. Yeah. More than anything, right? Okay. But every and now and then I put something. Something else. Non-soccer related. <laughs> okay. Do people get upset? And I'm like, why are you talking about baking tips, Padre? Get back to soccer. No, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> but be prepared. You're going to hear a lot of complaining about the Chicago Fire and Newcastle United and nice. and uh, DeKalb County United, our little local club here. Yeah. Uh, one thing I love about 
um, the, the soccer teams in the States is, uh, all of their names resemble like all the, the European league names. Yeah. The new ones. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Which makes me laugh so hard because it's like all of the dumb names across the U S sports. Why couldn't we just keep that tradition of really stupid names, you know? And because we to have dinner we, plates. I mean, <laughs> because we don't have we we are we are uh, how can I put this? We're insecure about our soccer pedigree. That's fair. And so we got to copy all the cool clubs. Okay. Because we can't we can't create our own. Right. And right. Get me going for it. this. Could be a whole other conversation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a team out west that's called like the something something FC, right? The it's like the city well, they, name football club, right? So there was a team. Well, the the fire just got renamed to Chicago Fire FC from S Soccer Club, really, because okay. they wanted to be cool. Mm, There's a nice. team in Montreal, Montreal Impact, that have been the Impact for a long time, and they're basically getting renamed Montreal FC because <laughs> it's cool. Nice. All right, you hear that, kids? If yeah. you want to be cool, just. Rename all of your social media handles FC. Dunzo. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Awesome. Well, thanks again, everybody, for being here, for listening in. Hope you had a good time. Uh, please come back next week for another episode. But for me, D, and Joe, we're out. Bye. Bye. Bye.